Well, uh, thankfully, Jesus is the spiritual head of this household. <laughs> but I, I know where you were going with that, and I appreciate it. God, God, God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Let's not, let's not get that twisted. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Good to see you here today. I'm so excited that we're going to be baptizing after the service today. So uh, I'm going to preach rather quickly, and uh, then we're all going to go outside, and we're going to celebrate together. we got the baptismal tub out there ready to dunk some folk. It takes me back to our early days when we were meeting at the Linden Life Art Gallery, and so many people were being saved and coming to the Lord, and we needed a way to baptize them. So we bought a, a, one of them little swimming pools. It wasn't like a kiddie pool. It was about three feet high, and it took the whole morning to fill up the tank. So we put us, I mean, we set it up because we were renting this art gallery. We put the water hose in there, turn it on, and then we go have service. And by the time service ended, it was full. It was that many gallons. And, then, and people would get saved in the service and go outside and get baptized right after the service because people were just like, I've got to, I've got to respond to this now. And uh, so I'm so excited about this day and this moment. We got six people that were baptizing at the end of the service today. Praise the Lord. Also, my wife is not with us. She's preaching at Redemption SF, Redemption SF this morning. And so uh, it's a wonderful connection with a, a wonderful congregation there in the city that we've recently connected with. And uh, she's going to be just ministering there this morning. So, uh, But she's with us in spirit. Amen. All right. Uh, this morning I'm preaching out of one verse. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Just speaks of the creation narrative. This is, by the way, part two in the series that I started last Sunday. Last Sunday, I talked about Salvation 101. Um, what I want to do is create a curriculum. First, you get saved. What's next after you get saved? Well, you take the step of baptism. But what's next after baptism? So Genesis chapter 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I'm going to start by playing, um, I'm going to play um, a recording of Wynton Marcellus uh, performing a song called Moto Perpetua. Moto Perpetua. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to play this, and we're just going to play until he takes his first breath. Okay. So we're just going to pray. We're going to play it and we're going to stop it as soon as he breathes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Play it. Louder. 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 Can y'all hear it? 40% louder. He's going to breathe any, any second now. It's been long enough. He needs to take a breath pretty soon. He's getting ready to breathe. Just give him a few seconds. He's going to need a breath in a second. I mean, no trumpet is a wind instrument, so you got to breathe at some point, right? I mean, it's already been longer than the average, but like, I mean, it's, he's going to need a breath. How's he doing this? We're going to start taking bets on when he's going to need a breath. How long has it been so far? It's been like 40 seconds. 
Do you know how much breath it takes to play the trumpet like that? I played trumpet for, for like 14 years. How long is this going to go? Dang, Winton. Somebody back there pumping breath into him. What's going on? You know what's going on? I had to look this up. Winton Marcellus is doing something called circular breathing. Meaning, he's blowing breath out and taking breath in at the same time. Circular breathing. This is crazy. I mean, this is absolutely nuts. How long is this going to go? Hurry up, Winton. I got to go on with this sermon. Okay, he's slowing down now. He's going to need a breath any second. He's slowing down. He's coming to the end of it. I'll give him about 10 more seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. No, that. Okay, give him another 15 seconds. Is your mind blown yet? How is this possible? How do you take breath in and put breath out at the same time? For this long? It's been two minutes. It's been two minutes. Can I tell you a little secret? This is the halfway point. Unreal. You'd think they'd have two trumpet players up there and they're taking turns, right? No, it's just him. Just him. Unreal. Unreal. But it's real. Moto Perpetua. Y'all gonna have to go home and YouTube this. You gotta see if this is real. Because this is absolutely real. We're gonna let him finish. It's more than four minutes long. For more than four minutes. And you get the sense at the end of it that he could have went on another four minutes. He just decided to stop. The song just happened to end. Sounded like it was ending there. They just, there it is. There it is. Go, Winton. Crazy, right? Absolutely unreal. The skill of a professional such as Winton Marcellus is simply the ability to breathe. That is, a professional like Winton Marcellus has mastered the art of breath. Mastered the art of breath. So, 
Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2, preaches the first Pentecost sermon. He gets to the end of the sermon, as we talked about last week, and the people cry out, what are we supposed to do? They're cut to the heart. They're convicted. There's an urgency to get right with this Jesus. And they cry out, what shall we do? And Peter's response, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, here's your curriculum. Number one, repentance 101. Number two, be baptized. Number three, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing is that that word spirit, pneuma in the Greek, literally means breath. Receive the gift of the Holy Breath. That is, receive the ability to breathe spiritual air. That's what's next. But that's not the order of contemporary Christianity, is it? The order of contemporary Christianity, if we were to preach that sermon, we would have said it this way. Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the right to become a member of the church and vote in our yearly members meeting. And you shall receive the opportunity to join a ministry, participate in a small group, Repent and be baptized and you shall receive the opportunity to give 10% of your income to the Lord. We call it a tithe. But Peter says, the very next thing that you should expect is to receive the fullness of the breath of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God, the very thing that you should be expecting after repenting and being baptized is being filled with the Spirit of God. Spiritual breath. The ability to believe. I mean, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My wife finally got pregnant, as most of you know the story, in 2009. We'd been married since 2000. We'd been praying for a baby all of those, those years and at first there was this elation, you know, it was just overwhelming joy. She's pregnant. But then secondly, she's dealing with the morning sickness, overwhelming nausea and vomiting. Like Pokemon vomiting every day. Projectile. Then we had to sign up for this class at the hospital called Lamaze. And they get you in a room and they say, in this class, we're going to prepare you for the most traumatic event of your life. We're going to prepare you for the most painful thing that you have ever experienced in your life. And here's how we're going to prepare you. We're going to teach you how to breathe. How can breathing decrease your pain? How can breathing increase your capacity to endure? How can breathing increase your resolve? How can breathing strengthen you? They say, you may not believe it, but breathing can. Breathing can do all of those things because what happens when you hit a traumatic event in your life is subconsciously you stop breathing. Your breath becomes shallow and your brain becomes deoxygenated 
and you begin to act on instinct and impulse. You begin to react rather than respond. And you can cut that down and cut that back and overstep that whole process by simply stopping and saying, breathe. Take a deep breath. Before you react, take a deep breath. Before you respond, take a deep breath. Oxygenate your brain and the cells in your body. Jesus says, or Peter says, repent, be baptized, and you're going to receive the ability to breathe spiritual breath. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's heaven's breath that fills your soul. Imagine what would happen to your physical body if you stopped breathing. That's what happens to your soul when you stop breathing the breath of the Holy Spirit. Now, we started with Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And what was that all about? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the scripture says, The Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the ruach. Ruach is the Hebrew term for spirit that's translated into the Greek Pneuma. He will baptize you with the Holy Pneuma, the Holy Spirit. He breathed into his nostrils the, the Ruach of life, the Spirit of life. Romans chapter 8 says, um, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life, the Ruach of life, the breath of life, the law of the breath of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. You've got Adam. God's formed him out of the dust of the ground. He's got form, but no breath. Then God gets down on his hands and knees and does mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation with our mouth-to-nostrils, breathes into his nostrils, the spirit of life, and man becomes a living soul. All of a sudden, Adam is alive. Adam's first moment of consciousness is the first human experience. It's not just Adam's first moment of consciousness. It's the first human moment of consciousness. Which means that this is the paradigm for what it means to be a human. This is true humanity. And there's two things that characterize that first human experience. Number one, he's filled with the Spirit of God. And number two, he's looking into the face of God. The first thing Adam sees is not the earth, not Eve, not food, not animals, not trees. The first thing Adam sees is God. And the first thing Adam experiences is the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. I say to you today, that in order to experience the fullness of your humanity, you must experience the fullness of the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God is the return of that fundamental human experience, which means you have not experienced what it means to be a human being until you have experienced the fullness of the Spirit of God. And the problem in our culture is that we have misdefined what it means to be a human being. Our definitions of a human being start after 
after the fall, after Adam sinned, after Eve sinned, after they were put out of the garden, after death and decay started to set in. So if you ask somebody what it means to be a human, they'll, they'll give you all kinds of stuff. It means to be imperfect. It means to be frail and broken. It means to experience pain and sorrow. It means that you're weak and miserly. It means that you're vulnerable. And we say all these things, and, what, and every time there's a problem with our lives, we blame it on our humanity. Well, I'm only human. Well, I'm just, I'm just a human being. Well, I'm only human. Well, I'm just a human being. You've misdefined what it means to be human. If you were only human, you would be filled with the Spirit of God and in a face-to-face encounter with God. That's what it means to be. Adam was only human in that first experience that he had. What came after that distorted his humanity. Sin is the virus that infects human nature. It doesn't define it. You can't define a thing by the virus that infects it. You've got to remove the virus and restore it. And this is, what the gospel, this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is aimed at. Taking us back to the garden. Laying us back down in the dust of the ground. And God breathing the breath of life into our nostrils. Filling us with his spirit. And our eyes open and we see God. Now you know what it means to be human. You don't even know who you are until you experience the fullness of the Spirit of God. The you that is anointed by the Spirit of God is the real you. That gossip in you, that ain't the real you. That lie in you, that ain't the real you. The cuss in you, that's not the real you. The gangster you is not the real you. The you that is full of the Spirit of God is the real you, and some of you haven't met the real you yet. And I hear people say all the time, I'm just trying to find myself. You want to find yourself? Seek the Spirit of God. You don't find you till you find the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes and when you experience that fullness of the Spirit, you found yourself. You've discovered who you are. I'll never forget it. When I, see, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in Pentecostal-ism. <laughs> right? And in, in a Pentecostal church, there's only one gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of tongues. So you ain't got the Holy Spirit till you speak in tongues in a Pentecostal church. And there's two classes of people in the church. Those who, speak, those who got the gift and those who don't. <laughs> So you start praying for the gift when you're real little. Now, there's good and bad to that. The good to that that I experienced was that it taught me to be hungry for the Holy Spirit from a young age. And so I remember being 12 years old, and I tell my grandmother, I want the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She's like, oh, Benjamin, it's the most wonderful thing that you could ever experience in your life. There's nothing that compares to the joy. There's nothing that compares to the power. There's nothing that compares to the glory that comes when the Holy Spirit fills you. And I could just feel my heart opening up. And I'm like, yes, I want that so bad. And I remember when I was 12, she said, I'm going to take you to the prayer chapel every day for this whole summer. It was the summer between my sixth and seventh or seventh and eighth grade. I can't remember. But through that whole summer, every day, she took me to the prayer chapel to pray. And she said, every day for one hour, we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit of God. 
It was the most boringest summer <laughs> that I ever had. Because I would get on my knees and I'd run out of stuff to pray in the first. I mean, I would pray. It felt like I prayed for hours. I prayed for everything that I knew to pray for. And I asked God for everything. And I'd look up at the clock and three minutes had passed. <laughs> and I knew I got another 57 minutes. By the end of that prayer meeting, I was like, oh, Lord, get me out of here. I'm 12 years old. You know, I'm like, oh, God. And then I just felt like a horrible sinner because I can't pray for, I can't, I, I, I can't, I don't even want to pray. I don't even like to pray, but I'm forcing myself to come here. And, but then I'd go home. I'm like, I'm hungry for God. I really want more of God. And so I'd go back the next day and I'd go through that whole experience again and again and again every day. And I just thought, I just felt like I'm just not holy enough. Maybe I'm not righteous enough. You know, nothing's happening. I don't feel anything. I'm not experiencing anything. Something happened that fall. That fall, my father, who was in a backslidden condition, he hadn't been walking. But I want to be careful because he always believed in Jesus, but he wasn't going to church. So we got to be careful not to say that just because somebody's not going to your church, they don't know Jesus. But he wasn't going to church for about 12 years or 11 years. But something happened where he came back and rededicated his life to the Lord. I'll never forget, I was 13 years old. It was the most glorious. I remember that being the happiest day of my life because we had been praying for him for more than a decade. And he came and grabbed me and took me in his arms and hugged me and just wept over me. And I wept and he wept and I wept and he wept. And it was just the most glorious joy that I had ever. I was so happy. I was so happy. I was so happy. And that was a Friday night. The next morning, our church always had Saturday morning prayer meeting. So my whole family goes to Saturday morning prayer meeting for the first time in a decade. My daddy is at Saturday morning prayer meeting. And I was so happy. But all of a sudden inside of me, there was terror because my grandmother wasn't there that day. And I remember thinking, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And after prayer, everybody was just pouring over my father. Everybody was so happy and they were hugging him. And he was, but inside, I just kept thinking, we got to get to grandma's house. we got to get to grandma's house. Something's wrong. And sure enough, we got to grandma's house and she was on the floor and couldn't get up. She had had a heart attack, a massive heart attack. And we, you know, we called for the paramedics and uh, took her to the hospital. We followed them to the hospital and they took her to, in the intensive care unit. And they said that she had not only had a massive heart attack, but there was evidence that she had had multiple massive heart attacks over the years, but she never went to the hospital. She just prayed herself through it. And so that night, my father gathered us all around my bed to pray before putting us to bed. And it was marvelous. He's praying over his family. It was just like this marvelous. It was, it was, I was like, I'd longed for this my whole life. And he's praying over us and just passionately, fervently praying over us. And then he starts praying for his mother. And the moment he starts praying for his mother, I'll never forget it. I could hear it like it happened yesterday. He says, Lord, I pray for my mother. She needs healing, oh God. And when he said, she needs healing, oh God, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and burst into tongues. Just started praying in tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. Acts 2. 
And I was like praying and I, I looked and I saw this happen and I went, <gasps> and I was so happy. I was over. I was just like filled with joy. It was like, I can't believe it, God. This is awesome. This is crazy. Well, everybody went to sleep that night, but I couldn't sleep. I'm just laying in my bed. I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for filling my father. Thank you for filling him with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. I'm just so overwhelmed with Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, as I'm just whispering, I don't want to wake anybody up because my two brothers are sleeping. We all shared a room. This is the ghetto. This is East Oakland. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and uh, so I'm just whispering, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And all of a the sudden, there was this overwhelming fullness of the Holy Spirit. It was like God just came and filled my internal and external space. There was just this overflow of his presence. Now, Jesus said, out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. When your heart is filled with bitterness, your mouth speaks bitterness. When your heart is filled with joy, your mouth speaks joy. When your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit, your mouth speaks Holy Spirit. The closest I can explain this, the closest example I can think of, is you know when you're a child and you're so full of grief, you're disturbed so much, and you're trying to tell your mom and dad what's wrong, but you're crying so hard that your words sound like gibberish? You ever had that experience or you've seen your child, what's wrong, son? <laughs> you can't even speak. You know what I'm talking about where you're just so overwhelmed with grief? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. It's like that, except the opposite. When you're so full of the Holy Spirit, your mouth can't speak English anymore. You just open your mouth to tell God what you're feeling and what you're, what you're, you're just trying to tell him how thankful you are. You're just trying to tell him how, how good he is. You're just trying to thank him and, and glorify him and worship him. And, and all your mouth just, I'm just, I'm speaking in tongues. And there's this overflow, this spiritual language is coming out of me, but it's a whisper. I'm still whispering. Hallelujah. And I'm like, oh, I'm speaking in tongues. I couldn't believe it. But it was this overflow. And it overflowed all night long. I whispered in tongues to the Lord. And I went to school the next morning. I didn't talk to nobody. I was just walking around school going, Hallelujah. And it's, it's, I'm sitting in class. And it's, it's break time. They're like, Ben, you want to play basketball? I'm like, oh. I'm just walking around, just doing laps around the school. And it's like through the whole day. And after school, I'll never forget my parents. They came to pick me up and they pick me and my brothers up. And they're like, we're going to the mall. And we go to the mall. I didn't care where we were going. I didn't care what we were doing. I just felt so, I was just so, there was this overflow. And it was overflowing so much that the, there was just such an abundance in my heart that my mouth couldn't stop. And I'm just walking about 50 paces behind the whole family, just in the mall. Just, and I'm just overflowing with God. Just the spirit of God is just so strong. This lasted for days. 13 years old. Because it don't have anything to do with how old or how young you are. It only has to do with how hungry you are. You know what that was? Spiritual breath. Breathing the breath of God. My grandmother, I wish I could say that that ability to pray, that because 
Notice before that came, I prayed three minutes and I was bored. Now I could pray all day and all night and all day and all night. And I was just full. That's the first thing that comes is the ability to pray. That's the first result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the capacity to pray. I'm trying to think of his name. He said, before that moment came for him, he felt like he had to carry his water supply with him everywhere. But when that moment came, it was like a river picked him up and carried him everywhere. That's what I experienced. Before that moment, prayer was labor. It was intensive labor. It was laborious. It was a burden. It was an obligation I had to fulfill. But when that moment came, it was a river that carried me. That river has carried me to this day. But here's the problem. Remember, Lamaze class. They signed you up for Lamaze because you're getting ready to experience the greatest trauma of your life. They don't lie to you and say, if you go through this Lamaze class, you won't experience the pain. It's not a replacement for the pain. It doesn't cure the pain. It empowers you to walk through it. There's this thing that happens naturally on the inside of us when the Holy Spirit comes and fills us to overflowing. Because this is what I thought. God has come upon us so strongly and empowered us so incredibly. And now me and my dad are like speaking in tongues together every night. And we're, our nightly prayer meetings as a family, we're off the hook. Mom, dad, me, and my brothers are like, whoa, this is amazing. And sometimes our prayer meetings as a family just went on and on and on because there was this new ability to pray. And I thought, God's going to heal my grandmother. Here's why God filled us with his spirit, so we could pray her through. She's going to be healed. And I believed it. I thought that the infilling of the Holy Spirit would spare us from trauma. When in fact, God gave us that infilling of the Holy Spirit to sustain us through trauma. And looking back over my life, what I noticed, a lesson that God has continued to teach me again and again and again and again. I'm 45 years old, but every time I sense a new infilling, a new rush of the Holy Spirit, I immediately assume that that rush of the Holy Spirit is coming to spare me from some kind of trauma. But when the trauma comes anyway, I get discouraged. And I lose heart because it didn't work. I can't tell you how many times I've stood at the bedside of someone who was dying and prayed with such fervor and sensed the rushing of the Spirit of God and thought that because I felt that power of the Spirit of God come, God was going to heal. Only to be discouraged because that person went ahead and went home to be with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, I'm battling in my heart, well, Lord, do you hear me? Do you really love me? 
come you don't answer me? I thought when I felt your presence and your power that it was done. I thought your presence and power were coming to change the situation. And what I've experienced again and again and again is on the other side of that trauma, I stopped breathing again. I pray less. I stop breathing the breath of God because I'm discouraged. The scripture says that through much tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. May I say to you today that if you have not experienced tribulation, get ready. It's coming. And if you have experienced tribulation, there's more. But if you do not know how to breathe the breath of God, when that tribulation comes, you will not have the strength to sustain yourself through it. Peter knows this when he's preaching to this crowd. He, he knows that tribulation is coming. He knows that persecution is coming. He knows that you're going to be hated. That you're, do you realize that Jesus had just been crucified a month and a half ago? Almost two months ago. Fifty days ago, Jesus had been crucified. He knew that they were living in an area, in a region of the world, in a context that was hostile to Jesus and his gospel. He knew that this group of people that was receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior were signing up to be hated, to be rejected, to be reviled and persecuted, to be defamed. And many would even be killed and put to death because of their faith, because of their testimony in Jesus. He knew what they were signing up for. And this is why he says, here's what's paramount after you've believed and are baptized. Now you better get the Holy Spirit. You better get you some Holy Spirit. You better get filled with the breath of God and learn how to breathe that spiritual air each and every day. Because you need it. The first thing you need to do is sign up for spiritual lamas. Because the vision, the goal, is that we would all be the Wynton Marcellus of the Spirit. You're walking through a trial, but you just keep breathing. How are you breathing through that trial? And the trial goes on for, for four weeks or four months or four years. And people are looking at you saying, how are you still standing in the midst of that trial? How are you still believing? How is there still a smile on your face? How is it that you're still encouraged? How is it that you're not breaking down? How is it that you're not giving up? I'll tell you why. Because I've learned to breathe in as I breathe out. I've learned to take in the, the breath of God and it fills my lungs and it fills my nostrils. I'm filled with the breath of God. I am sustained by the Spirit of God. And the great problem in our culture today is that we have made the fullness of the Spirit something to fight about, something to divide about. We've made it optional. We've pushed it to the margins, not realizing how humanistic that is. I don't need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What that means is I can make it on my own. My own power is sufficient. I've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and my first conclusion is that I can now live by my own power 
and in my own strength, through my own wisdom for the rest of my life. My friends, if we are not hungry and thirsting for a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit, then we are confident in our own power. And I don't care if you've been filled with the Spirit or not. I wake up every morning and I have to come back to that place of dependence because no matter what I experienced yesterday, I need another infilling today. Can you imagine if you're like, well, I breathed yesterday, so I don't need to breathe today. I breathed good yesterday. I took some deep ones yesterday. That should be good, you know. Somebody asks you, you know, how's your breathing? Well, it was good, you know. When I was a kid, I really breathed. <laughs> Just figure shallow breaths for the rest of my life is enough. You need a good slapping. You know how scary it is when you experience shortness of breath? Because you know how essential it is to breathe natural air. But for some reason, we experience spiritual shortness of breath and we're not troubled at all. And you experience spiritual shortness of breath when there is a deficit of desire. When there's nothing in you that desires more of the Spirit of God, my friend, you are on spiritual life support. You're in God's inter- in, uh, ICU, intensive care unit. God loves you so much, He just won't take you off life support. He won't let you die. But He would rather that you would live. first thing that the gospel tells us about Jesus before he ever comes on the scene before he ever preaches his first sermon the first thing that we learn about him is not that he's the savior but that he's the spirit baptizer remember John the Baptist what does he say I baptize you with water but there's one coming after me who's greater than I he shall baptize you in the Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 20, after Jesus rises again, he visits his disciples. The scripture says that they were shut away in a place for fear of the, of the Jews. In John 20, 21, Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace be unto you. First thing he does is address their fears with his shalom. Then he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Then John chapter 20, verse 22, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see what he did there? What did God do when he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And what does Jesus do? He breathes into his disciples the breath of life. He's like, this is your Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 moment. Receive the Holy Spirit. And this is the invitation of the Father to us today. Receive the Holy Spirit. And I want you to get it in your hearts and minds tonight, today, this morning. 
that receiving the Holy Spirit is not something that is isolated at an altar. Not something that happens just because an anointed person lays their hand on you. I remember Dunam, my brother-in-law, we had this prayer meeting early in the life of our church. I think it was in 2004, first year, when we only did two things. We had Friday night prayer and Sunday morning service. That was it. And one Friday night, we were praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit, and we were praying for Dunam that night. And there was just this, this sense from God that you got it. And there was something in him that told him to go home and keep seeking God. And he went home. I'm telling the story. I'm not telling the story exactly right. But one thing I know is he went home that night and he kept praying. And he kept seeking God. And guess what happened? God met him in his bedroom in the middle of the night with nobody else there. And filled him to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. What's most important today is not that you come to the altar, but that your hunger is awakened. This has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with what church you go to. This has nothing to do with anybody else but you and God, that God has a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's two truths. Number one, God has more for, the, for you than you now have. God has more for you than you now have. God has a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit in store for you than you have yet to receive. You got to believe that every day. I don't care what happens today. Tomorrow, you need to wake up and return to that truth. God has more for me today than I have. That's why I continually seek him. I continually reach for more. But number two, it is a promise to every believer. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is a promise to every believer. Now, if the tongue things trips you up, forget about tongues. I'm not asking you to seek tongues. I'm asking you to seek the Holy Spirit. We've divided over that for too long. God gave the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2 to unite, not to divide. We decided to divide over that. That's fine. If that trips you up, throw it out. Forget about tongues. Just seek the Holy Spirit and ask him to come however he wants to come and manifest himself however he wants to manifest. But by all means, seek the Holy Spirit. By all means, be hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, there's a hunger that's deep in our hearts. For others, we don't feel any hunger then just start by asking God to awaken your hunger. Awaken my hunger for more. Teach me to breathe your spiritual breath. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would take these words that were spoken here today and whatever is of you, that you would apply it to every heart and every soul. And that you would bring clarity, that you would silence every voice of the enemy that would seek to bring division but more than anything else, that you would release hunger. That you would release hunger in every heart. That you'd release hunger in every heart. In Jesus' holy name. I just want you to respond to God right now and just begin to ask Him. Begin to ask Him for a greater infilling, a personal infilling of the Holy Spirit for your life. Just talk to Him. You can talk out loud. Don't worry. Jesus, Jesus. Even you watching online, right there in your homes, just begin to talk to him. Just begin to ask him. Jesus said to his disciples, how many of you, if your son asked you for a fish, you'd give him a scorpion? Or if he asked you for bread, would give him a stone? Can you imagine that? Some, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have some bread? Yeah, here, take this rock. 
He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When was the last time you asked him for the Holy Spirit? Those are all continuous action verbs. How much more will your heavenly Father go on being willing to go on giving the Holy Spirit to those who go on asking him? God is looking for those who will go on, continue to ask him for more of the Holy Spirit, and he will continue to give those who continue to ask. Father, we continue to ask for more of the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath. It's your breath. Breathe your breath into us, O oh God. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you feel so inclined to come to this altar and pray, you may do so. If you want somebody to pray for you today, we got people here who will do that. I'll pray for you. God, awaken our hearts. Let there be an awakening in our hearts today, God. Let there be an awakening in our hearts today, God. Overcome our apathy, God. Overcome our apathy today. Awaken us, God. Awaken us, God. Lord, this place should just be exploding with hunger for you right now.